And thank you all for joining us. Um, my story is going to be of something that is for my, my, my brother has been affected by being trapped by the FBI. And the story that I'm going to reveal to you today about him is one that's being repeated over and over nationally, even though some of you may not be aware. But before I start, I'd just like to ask by a show of hands, how many parents love their children? Just by a show of hands. How many parents can't wait for their children to grow in front of their eyes? And is this not, and for their children to grow taller than them and for their children to be able to put their parents into their arms? And is, it, is this not the dream of every parent? Well, for my parents, they immigrated here in 1987 with my brother, Muhammad, who was two at the time. They came here for a better opportunity. Their dream for my siblings and I was to go to, go to, to do exceptional in schools and to earn reputable educations so that we can give back to society. After my brother graduated high school, he had a lot of weight on his shoulders. He was studying marketing and while working on my parents' newly opened halal meat shop and also helping my father with driving a cab of my father's. We lived a very happy life. We were living normal until one day our lives turned 180 degrees. I'll be telling you my brother's story from his perspective to allow you to walk into his shoes. And this is how Muhammad begins his story. On May 7th of 2007, after picking up coffee for my brother, for my father and I, I headed to the taxi line at the airport. Once I parked, Mahmoud Amal called me. I picked the phone up, and knowing what he had called for, I pushed the ignore button. Mahmoud Amal called twice more, and I ignored him again. Seconds after the third call, I saw about six vehicles coming through the emergency lane at the taxi line with police lights and sirens. Then to my right were another six or so vehicles. Unfortunately, as they pulled out on me and were arresting me, my father was parking his car. A few of my colleagues were talking to me while the cars were closing in. So I looked at one, laughed and said, every time I'm with you, I get into some kind of trouble. I made this joke not knowing what, what they had come for. After, after, they had, after they had me in handcuffs, they began escorting me to one of the vehicles when I noticed the agent holding my sleeves was rattling and shaking. The man was 6'5 or so, about 270 70 pounds, so I looked at him and laughed, then said, you have nothing to be afraid of. I'm only one individual who's unarmed, and you have 30 or so of your buddies, all with butt long barrels. I later understood that this was a natural reaction of the, the fear and warmongering anti-Islamic propaganda. It all started when Mahmoud Omar, an FBI informant who had met me from the halal meat shop, went to the FBI on July of 2005, stating that he had found an Islamic extremist in the area. The FBI put Mahmoud on their payroll then, but waited until January of 06, when a home video of my co-defendants, along with other friends of myself, came to the attention of the FBI to make an official start of their investigation. It was a video that my brother-in-law, Suleyman Duka, had taken to convert to a DVD 
to give to all his friends that went on the fa famous tourist site of Poconos in Pennsylvania, where we did what any group of young men would do. We rode horses, we played paintball in the woods, and went, shoot, and went shooting in the, sh in the shooting range. However, to the clerk at Circuit City, who heard us calling Allahu Akbar, meaning God is great, later contacted authorities to put, to put it into their hands. Mahmoud Omar was then directed by the FBI to become an informant and record conversations that he'd have with me or any of my contacts, all in exchange for freedom, money, and citizenship, which until this day he hasn't been granted. Mahmoud Omar began recording conversations between him and me. He was coming to my parents' shop as one who wanted to repent and come back to the Islamic faith. He came to me because I was known to being a practitioner of the Islamic faith. While I was trying to help Mahmoud with the basics of the Islamic religion, as praying five times a day, how to treat his wife, and going to Friday prayer, Mahmoud would keep asking me about jihad, which is a self-struggle, or it could be used in other terms. But my brother's first response was that jihad was a self-struggle, the staying away from sins and taking care of one's responsibility. But this wasn't what Mahmoud wanted to hear. So he stated, no, no, I understand this jihad. I mean the other. So I then discussed the different wars and jihad taking place in various countries in the Middle East. From that point on, the relationship between, became different between Mahmoud and I. I was getting bullied and pushed by Mahmoud till the day I was arrested. I was being smothered and choked. Until this day, just from recalling these events, I can taste that feeling of pressure. Mahmoud sustained an enormous amount of pressure on me, trying to get me to say or do things that would get me in trouble. However, I kept on dodging him. Until one day, Mahmoud manipulated me into saying something I would never even have thought of. On August 1st of 2006, which is then seven months into the investigation, Omar specifically mentioned a young girl no older than six, who was out with her family celebrating one of the family members' graduation on the shore of Gaza when Israeli naval ships attacked the shore and killed the girl's entire family. Omar was explaining to me how this girl reminds him of his daughter because she was the same age and size. After talking about this, Omar started pushing me towards taking action. Omar then belittle, belittle, belittling, belittling me by saying, Muhammad, we know the situation. All we do is talk. He then said, Muhammad, what do we do? I told him that we here in the US can do nothing. We can only make prayers. He then responds, no, no, my father told me that whatever is taken by force has to come back by force. I tell him, well, if this isn't enough for you, you can go to Egypt, and from there you can go to Palestine or Iraq. Omar then motions his fingers towards the floor, and meaning that he wants to do something here. In response to, to this, I tell him, well, if you want to do something, you have, sorry. You have four dicks. When I tell him you have four dicks, he manipulated and, dragging, and dragged me into it by telling me, okay, we can do this. Also, by doing this, manipulated me into believing that I had now given him a sense that I was part of this by saying, you and I, but we'll need others. And that is where Mahmoud dragged me by saying, 
dragged me dragged others into the invest this investigation totaling the victims of this entrapping investigation to five members at that point once my, once omar left my house and i had said what i said i was thinking to myself what did i do and what did i say then i thought to myself well omar was upset about the events of gaza and lebanon as was i and he's going to forget about this heated con and emotional conversation by morning then the following three days, I felt I was being bombarded by Omar's calls and unannounced meetings, whether home or at my store. I felt very uncomfortable in my, in my situation because essentially in the conversation that I mentioned Fort Dix, I was being called a coward. I was dragged into something because I was conned into believing I was obligated, in, I was obligated to go along with him. After that, I kept trying to avoid him until one day he shows up at my home unannounced and starts waking me up and telling me he has an emergency. It took me about 45 minutes to get out of the house. Then when I got into his car, he said he wants to survey Fort Dix. So I would go along with him the whole time, saying that we'll just go there, talk about it, and that I'll break it to him, and that I'll just take myself out of this situation. However, when we finally arrived at the area, I told Omar that it's impossible for the attack to backstep that way. But then he responded that we'll just check out other potential targets. So when he said that, I told him not to worry. Tatar, another co-defendant of ours, knows the, the base like the back of his hands. I, and I said this hoping that we don't have to go through another one of these. Um, I mean... So basically, just to wrap up, because we're kind of out of time, I was hoping to get more of a, a more complete sense of this um, story, entrapment story of my brother's, but the FBI entrapped my brother, my brother to first say something and to bring up Fort Dix, and then afterwards to, 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 for them to formulate a conspiracy in, into bringing in this, the, the map into this... Um, investigation and afterwards my brother with a sur with a surveilling where the informant was the one that was driving and entrapped my brother into going with him into believing that he had some kind of emergency and these were the basically the three key ingredients for convicting for arresting and convicting my brother along with four others and i mean i'm s i wanted to add a lot more but due to time, but thank you so much for being here today.